Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I am honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 25 of season one of This Osteopathic Life. It seems like a relative milestone number and I'm pleased to have made it through half the year and stayed relatively consistent with the number and frequency of podcasts. We've had a few weeks omitted, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not, sometimes subject to the scheduling of life and unexpected happenstances. But overall, I'm pleased to have stuck to the timeline and grateful to my musician expert who has changed themes with me every three recordings or so. As I contemplated this week's episode, it was interesting to balance against the daily blog I've been putting out on thisosteopathiclife.com, reflecting on my experience in the Osteopathic Health Policy Fellowship. And we are coming up on 12 days into that experience, and my goal is to put out a daily reflection, about 500 words, so it takes about two or three minutes to read on specifics in the program to gain awareness around it and also simply on the changes in awareness and experience of life through the lens of the Osteopathic Health Policy Fellowship. So if you have a moment, check those out. You don't necessarily need to read them sequentially. You could just grab whichever one appeals to you. And so I've been processing the different topics based on what I put there in a relatively small dose versus what sticks out as deserving or in need of more attention and a more in-depth exploration. I'm doing better, I'm working on getting better at, I should say, being more responsive to topics in the media as they impact medicine and health. And we've referred to a few over the course of these 25 episodes. And one that came out most recently was in the New York Times. And it got quite a response. And it's interesting to me for multiple reasons. And brought to mind the question of who speaks for you? Who represents you? Who are you willing to allow or to empower with your voice. And we can think of that in government. You know, we vote for those we seek to represent us in our interests and how we would like our community and our world to be governed. We do that with our dollars, you know, where we purchase and what we purchase. 
gives space and possibility for representation in the marketplace. You know, our values and how we act demonstrate representation for us. And this article in particular spoke to me into this concept because it was originally posted on a social media page I follow serving physician moms and in an affirmative way. The person who posted it was in solid agreement with the content in the emotion in the quality of the article. And as I read it, I was somewhat surprised that someone in this group felt kind of empowered and represented by this article because I didn't necessarily see it the same way. But across 70,000 people, certainly there are going to be different viewpoints. And shortly thereafter, a rebuttal to this article was published, um, basically saying it's entirely not true and not appropriate. And that one resounded more clearly with me. And it was fascinating to me to think about how we can have such opposite concepts, ideas, and positions of representation within a group and to have such disagreement among them. And we see that a lot in politics today. You know, we're in a very polarized society. And as a member of the group, and with some posting a yes affirmative and some uh, absolutely not no way, how do you know where you fall in that line? And how do you know how you're being grouped into a thought process? Do people assume that because you're part of this collective, you think or act or vote or behave in a certain way? And how do you clarify what your intention truly is and what your stance really is? And when do you have to step out and stop just allowing someone else to represent you and speak directly for yourself, for your principles, for your family, for your patients, for your community. And for me, that's some of how I came to the Osteopathic Health Policy Fellowship, where it felt a bit like I was on the sidelines and letting things happen and being subject to how things were being implemented and legislated and seeing impacts that I didn't feel were authentically behind for and through the health and wanting to take a more active role, gain greater insight and information and nurture relationships that could be meaningful and authentic and be a more direct representative of myself and be an accurate representation of those who maybe don't have the time or the space or the desire to be that clear and more prominent voice. And as I reviewed these two articles, keeping an open mind, I can see where the spin in the first one, which proposed that medicine has become the stealth family-friendly profession. And this was published on August 21st, 2019 
by Claire Kane Miller in the New York Times. And you can pull bits and pieces out and see where they might have drawn that line. And there are opportunities for shift work in medicine that can sometimes provide more control of a schedule. There are changes in work hours. They're looking at trends where physicians tend to continue working after they have children. But it just felt like the criteria for qualifying a physician career as a family-friendly profession just weren't accurate. And from my own vantage point, certainly with bias as a parent who is a physician, certainly a number of physicians continue to work after they have children, many times out of obligation. They have debt to repay. Uh, They might still be in training, and you need to complete that training to remain eligible to work. So even if you wanted to take a pause, completing your residency and board certification are certainly in your favor. Some certainly by choice. You know, those who endeavor into medicine do so with a calling, with a passion for that career, and with a hefty investment in time, in energy, in money, and don't generally speaking, again, wild generalizations here, walk away from that and perhaps find a way to balance it. This word that you know we might talk about in future episodes more specifically, but how to integrate their lives around parenthood and working as a physician. And certainly you could come from any angle with this. And it's not to say that there aren't challenges in many careers and advantages perhaps financially that physician moms might have over others from ability to afford childcare. And we don't always have to compare. You know, this article was specifically about medicine being a family-friendly profession. And it doesn't necessarily have to say that other professions are or aren't more. It was specifically about medicine. And I have a hard time sometimes staying in that mindset of not wanting to say, but their struggle is worse and theirs is so much easier. But staying focused on the concept at hand and determining, is this an accurate sentiment, statement about what it is I'm discussing? That said, certainly not appropriate to ignore those other components and look for where a lack of family friendliness is in any profession and hopefully learn from one another's mistakes and also honor the successes that have been had and how to expand them and apply them across different sectors. But in the rebuttal article entitled Female Physicians Reject Good Enough, which was published in Forbes two days later, August 23rd, by Dr. Miriam Knoll, K-N-O-L-L, who went into great detail about the data behind women in medicine, the challenges at onset 
this progression to women now being the majority in medical school, now split at 50.7% to men at 49.8% in enrollment, to women being the leaders in the grassroots activism campaigns, likely because they have been in a place of minority status, of oppression in medicine, of wage gaps and biases across specialties, making it so there's more motivation and more willingness to step out and say enough and wanting to close those gaps and truly seek equity in medicine. Looking at her argument, we'll say, or her support, she makes clear, rational, data-supported statements about representation across specialties and lack of family-friendly policies in medicine and highlighting that there still are gender disparities and the family-friendliness of medicine has a lot it still needs to do to earn that as a qualifying descriptor. As with most podcasts, and I sound like a broken record with this, but I have to acknowledge the experience of researching any of these topics is fascinating for where it heads. And so as I posed this question to myself and thought about this concept and thinking, who represents me? Who speaks for me in medicine? And does it accurately represent my interests, my desires, my values, my style of practice, my intent for being in the profession? And if not, do I need to shift my alignment? Do I need to, again, be the representer? And in so doing, be very dedicated, very clear on listening for and gaining perspective and seeking feedback so that I know when I'm serving as a representative for any particular group, I'm doing so with the best possible widest reach of supporting the interests at hand. And so when I started to search on this topic, looking at those articles, there was an additional article that came through in Medium uh, where they were commenting on the kind of Twitter backlash that came from the original article. But almost more interesting to me, what came up when I simply typed in who speaks for you, it came up with a lot of patient advocacy and specifically a tool through Walters Kluwer and called EMMI, E-M-M-I, an interactive multimedia program helping people find a healthcare proxy. So someone who would support them and speak for them, represent them in end-of-life care. And looking at the broad scope of medicine through this osteopathic life, this was an interesting tangent or accessory pathway that this investigation originally thinking about 
the physician experience and its representation as family-friendly profession into what is representation for patients and how do you do that and who does advocate for you in end-of-life care as this tool addresses, but also at any stage in the care for your health and your interaction with the medical system, with physicians, with any behaviors that either support or detract from your health? And how do we appropriately engage and ensure that as a patient, you know, as a consumer of healthcare, which can be a contentious phrase, but as a participant, an active participant, hopefully, in your own health and engagement with the healthcare system, who is representing your best interests? On a global scale, you know, broadly at the policy level, in insurance programs, in the medical system in your community and the degree of access that you have, in the education you receive for behaviors that can significantly affect your health. Do you know? Do you have a clear picture of who those representatives might be? Do you have a say? You know, are you able to choose or voice a preference for the person that might represent you? Do you have direct input? Do you have a means for communication to principally express what you would like stated on your behalf or to give feedback when something is stated to acknowledge it, to accept it, to encourage it, or to disagree with it. And what are those avenues? This is something, admittedly, I haven't thought much about. If I consider my one-on-one patient encounters, usually it's the patient themselves who's coming to me. And one of the goals I bring with me into patient evaluations is to be an advocate for that patient. So to listen through their history for what it is they're seeking, to say it back to them, to get clarity on if I'm hearing them correctly, to review you know, what engagements they've had, and then to offer to be a voice for them, whether it's to a specialist where they need further evaluation and representing their hopes, their concerns, their worries, on their behalf, whether it's to their primary care physician and improving the coordination of care, whether it's to a family member who will help them but needs more direct input from me, the physician, in that relationship. But I don't often expand that and think about how that patient is being advocated for in their community, in their family, on a broader scale in the healthcare system. When I was in solo private practice in managing scheduling and insurance all very directly myself, that scope of view expanded some as I would more directly have to engage with you know, challenges with insurance coverage or access to special studies or follow up with you know, primary care physicians when the patient didn't have one. in a setting where I have office staff, there's a little bit of disconnect. And so it's a reminder to me to stay on top of that and to keep an awareness of all that's going in 
to the care of this patient beyond those 30 minutes or so in the room with me. As a patient myself, when I participate in the healthcare system or when my family does, thinking about what resources we have and how we are supported or what support is lacking and how we could engage to promote it, to create it, to demand it. You know, when you pay for healthcare coverage, you hope that you're able to pay for something that serves you and then you have a say in how it's represented. And sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. You know, in open enrollment times, making the choice of your plan is you putting your financial vote behind you know, what seems to be most appropriate for you and saying this is the type of healthcare I think is fair and equitable or simply the best choice. And so by choosing it, I create more opportunities for others utilizing this focus. The other piece that came up when I put in, so first I put who speaks for you, and patient advocacy came up, which was fascinating and a necessary place to go as I'm broadening the scope of awareness around healthcare. But the other one that came up somewhat in a different vein, but as I continue to get clear on what it means to be for the health of all things, none of this is really distinguishable because the impacts on our life in all arenas are impacting our health. And so when I came in with the search of representation accuracy, what came up was the idea of representation in media and reflecting minority groups and the actions that have been made in Hollywood and in music and in television to promote diversity and representation. And this was an article from Critical Hit. Um, It was an opinion piece back from 2017 in January by Glenn Kissela. And it went through you know, the impact of taking an active approach to diversity and representation, what it looks like, where it's successful, when it misses the mark, and why it matters. And this, to me, was perhaps my most favorite discovery on the investigation of the concept for the podcast today, to really think about what it means to see yourself in any arena, be that medicine. Are there mentors who look like you, who reflect your life experience, who are relatable because they've had similar childhood happenstance and similar challenges in their schooling and biases and suppression and have overcome it and can serve as a model and a mentor for you. Similarly, across all professions, it's meaningful, it's likely necessary, and I need to do more to research this specifically, to see yourself in a role that you seek. And certainly there are spaces and there is room for trailblazing. It's not always going to happen that there's someone who reflects you in the place you would like to go. 
and you might have to be the first one. And that is brave and it can be necessary. And hopefully there will be other means of support along the way. But it can be so powerful, can be so catalytic to see someone who looks like you, who behaves like you, who has similar chapters in their story, to give you the hope, the confidence, the glimmer of possibility that you can also move into that lane, move toward that aspiration and be successful. You know, that hand back to pull you forward, you know, that maybe gravel road, if the trail hasn't totally been paved, to allow you to move in a trajectory toward your dream, be it personally, professionally, or both. And in medicine, there are efforts in this regard. You know, again, women have now become the majority. There are more minorities in the United States enrolling in medical school and completing residency training across a wide swath of specialties. And people are starting to see themselves more frequently, but it's certainly not enough. And this article was referring to media and you know the casting appropriately you know, when it's written as a minority role, not assigning it to a white person and seeing the power and the value in a diverse cast that can inspire, you know, across all demographics simply for the quality of acting and for the engagement and what it can mean to those who are up and coming and dreaming about those careers. So as I look forward into the next stages for me of the Osteopathic Health Policy Fellowship for medicine in its possibility of being a leader in family-friendly behaviors, but not yet being there, acknowledging that There's a possibility to set the tone for itself as well as for other industries by doing the right thing, by going above and beyond, by looking past equality to equity and to humanistic behaviors, to acknowledging that the health of the workforce is directly reflected in the quality of care that can be provided to patients and as such, to the health of the whole. To considering who speaks for you and who your representation might be and taking a more active role in understanding that, in providing direct feedback to being proactive and before a result happens that negatively affects you or your community, speaking out, being direct, being engaged in the system, and to perhaps taking on an even more active role and becoming the representation yourself from a place of integrity and clear intention and authenticity, looking 
for the greater good, for the interests of the collective, and being willing to step out and to speak up for them. Thinking about the presence of representation across all professions and in our specific vantage point in medicine and what it looks like. Who do you look to for mentorship? And are there those to whom you can relate in the roles to which you aspire? And if there are not, are you willing? And if so, what are the steps you need to take to be that first one there in order to create that more broad representation across specialties and administrative roles and research prowess for the sake of the profession, for other physicians, for patients who see the power in having themselves represented in the care that is given to them, and in other arenas, where is representation not appropriately diverse? Where are the holes? And where can we highlight those who really are filling them but maybe aren't getting the notoriety and the awareness around their experience and all that they are giving to their profession, to their industry, to their community? So I take those thoughts with me into this week and I challenge you to do so. Who speaks for me? Am I willing to speak for myself and to speak for others who aren't able? Who represents me? Am I appropriately aligned with groups who truly reflect my values, my potential, my possibility? And if not, am I willing and able to take a more active role to do so for myself? I open up the floor for questions and reflections and look forward to seeing more of us broadly represented to improved accuracy in advocacy of self and of patients in the profession and to a greater sense of clarity around the impacts on health personally and professionally. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey with this osteopathic life. Thank you for listening.